You know, uh, as we put on the lights here and get ready for the service, you guys can, op- uh, the sermon rather, you can open up to Hebrews 7, please. But one of the things you'll notice about our church is that we always accelerate people. So I just want you to know that's part of our heart here for you, is that once you join the discipleship and you become a part of the church, you get a yes. I mean, the only reason why you would get a no is if you stop preaching the truth or something, you know. But I mean that because I was talking to a person from another church, and they said we couldn't even start a Bible study there. And, and they had been there for years. And I get like... Just someone saying randomly, I want to start a Bible study, that not going well. Of course, there's got to be parameters. But once you're in our church and our discipleship, Mikasa Sukasa, this is all for you to use. Amen? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I just want you to be uh, excited about that because that's not something that you can find everywhere. I'm not saying we're the only one. But the moment I saw this with our sister, I'm like, how can we support? How can we get behind it? Another example of that is Juan had a tremendous uh, um, turnout yesterday for Love Life. If we could put up the picture for that, please, from his Facebook. And uh, they loved having the gospel truck out there. Love Life is basically a pro-life movement. And he's now working for them. And he said, hey, can we bring out the truck? And I said, absolutely. And then I shared with them how good it looked. You'll see how they put their banner there. I mean, they're covering up our area where it says Chicago for Jesus with their logo. But listen, does it matter? It's all for Jesus, right? So I saw how beautiful it looked. I thought it looked great the way they had their banner there so everyone could know this is a Love Life event. And I thought to myself, hey, they need to do it every week. Well, lo and behold, he could use it every week. So when we talked, he's like, yeah, I could use it. I'm like, use it, use it. No, I can use it. That's an answer to prayer. But that's just obvious to me, you know? The way I look at it is when you're a part of this church and you're in the discipleship, it's like you're in your family's business, you know? It's, uh, you know, we have some people here that work for their families and they're, you know, second, third, fourth generation in the business. That's the way I look look at it here. You know, I mean, of course, you want to get on a schedule. You want to do things in excellence. How many think that looks good right there? Amen. I mean, that's a great turnout. They said there was over 70 that came. And then, like I said, hey, it says love life. They don't see the Chicago for Jesus side. That's okay. The other side says Metro Praise or whatever. But we're not out there for advertising for our church. We're out there for Jesus. Amen. I see some of you were there. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You know, what can you do for the Lord? Let us know. And I think really where that came from, sister, just to be honest with you in my life and my transparency, is I was uh, always held back. I was one of those people that wanted to do things, and people thought that I was just talk. I don't know if that came across because I was so young or what it was, but I've always been a doer, uh, even as a sinner. I was a doer. Like, if we want to do something, we're going to do something, you know, and I got put in jail quite a bit for doing something, okay? And I'm not proud of that, but like Peter, you know, I mean, you use, you know, I do something bad. The devil used me. Now God used me for something good. And, you know, I remember they were so, it was so hard to work with churches. It was so hard to get my pastor to believe in me or trust me or do something. And it seemed like there was so much red tape. So I always said, Lord, by your grace, whenever I can pastor, you know, in Bible college, I'm thinking this, and whenever we get a ministry, there's not going to be any red tape. It's just going to be discipleship. So where sometimes people run into the, uh, the brick wall here is when they come with these ideas or their gifts, and then they don't want to do the discipleship. And then they'll say something like, well, I did it at my other church, so on and so forth. But hey, How many know if you go to a new job, you got to do job orientation? How many know if you go from Burger King to McDonald's, you can't say I did job orientation at Burger King? I mean, I don't understand people sometimes. You know, it's like you know you know this in your everyday life. You come to our church, and now you just want to do these things. That doesn't make any sense. you got to know what we do here. And then if you look at our church and how we do things, what is it, 101, 201? Some people in this church have done it within a year, two years at the most. And then you're up and running. And so what I say to people is I'm sorry if you were a part of a backslidden church or a bad church, and now you've got to start over or just for whatever reason, 
and maybe you moved, God brought you somewhere. But give it a year or two. That's what I normally say. Give it a year or two, and then you got the rest of your time here to thrive. Amen? And you could do all of these wonderful things. So our sister doing the worship ministry, uh, Juan doing this Love Life Pro uh, Life ministry, and all of these other gifts that we have here. Teenagers, um, or rather the Escovals want to do something with the teenagers. They're praying about whether or not to buy the property that we go to on the west side to actually buy the lot there. Come on. And to put a program there. Isn't isn't that amazing? Now, of course, the church can get involved in that, but that's something they feel like they want to do. And I said, let us know. You know, let us know if you want us to put our finances into because, you know, he's an elder at our church. But that wasn't his direction. Like, his direction was our family will start a non-for-profit, will take on the responsibility, do the fundraising, do the and then we'll do that. And then you know what struck me? Because I hadn't thought about this, but then immediately struck me. I've already seen that done about two or three times in other churches. The church that I used to attend in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the dear sister there lost her uh, son to gun violence, and she said, you know what God told me to do? To go start a program for teenagers on the south side of Fort Wayne, Indiana. She didn't even get a dollar from the church. Now, of course, churches supported her, but that wasn't her mission. Her mission was to get all of that money that these government agencies are giving away to have them to give it to her, and she's been there ever since. Can I hear an amen? Now, I, once again, I'm not trying to get out of the church doing stuff. I want to have some investment in that ground, but I'm just saying God gave her that idea, and then another woman that I knew from New Orleans had, you know, a business background, you know, I, I wouldn't say wealthy, I don't know their financial, uh, you know, status, but they had quite quite a bit. They were doing good, and she said the Lord told her to start reaching out to new, the kids in New Orleans. She started the ministry all by herself, her and her family, and then from there, people went and gave and did all that they did. So let me just say this to you, a little, a little extra sermon before the sermon. Anytime the Lord puts something in your heart, just go and do it, amen? And then find good churches that can support you, and if you're a part of this church, that's a no-brainer. We got your back, amen? Okay, let's go. Hebrews chapter 7. Starting in verse 1, thank you for coming today. We're going to talk about tithing to a new priesthood. Let's get back up the offering buckets. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. But today's sermon is actually going to be on tithing. So if you came today, you might be a little disappointed. Come on. But how many want to hear God's plan for finances? Amen. Now, why is it important to give God your best in finances? Well, let's, let's go to a few scriptures. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Money's important to us, and God has a plan for money. We have to know how to do it God's way. If we don't do it God's way, it could take over our soul. Think about it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Think about how, God seri- how serious God is about money. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and politics. Is that what it says? God and sex. Hold on. One more time. One more time. God and false religion. No. God and what? Money. Wow. So when Jesus said, I'm going to set up a scenario where you can see the biggest competition for your life, for your soul, when he chose the enemy, when he's looking through Street Fighter, do I want to fight, you know, Dalsum? Do I want to fight this one or whatever? You know, uh, what's the big one that was green? It was. Zangief was the other guy, the big, tall Russian guy, but what was the green guy? He just came to my mind. No, Dalsum was the Indian guy. Dor? Thor. No, I don't think he was named was Thor. I'm talking Thor. I'm talking about, uh, not Thor. I'm all confused now. Oh, I know. It's at the tip of my tongue. Somebody Google it. We got to get it right now. Green monster from Street Fighter. Welcome to church. Blanca. Okay, we're all on the same page now. Blanca. Okay. 
Put a picture of Blanca up there so everybody can get this. Now that we're here, we might as well stay here for a few more minutes. Awkward. Okay. So imagine you're playing Street Fighter and you're going through the game. You got to beat all the bad guys. You know, you got to beat all the characters technically. But let's just say some of them are bad guys. And you look at these characters and you're like, who's the scariest? Well, for me, when I was playing Street Fighter, Blanca was the scariest for me. Okay? So this is what I grew up on. This guy was the scariest one for me to fight. He, he could grab a hold of your head and bite your brain. He was a crazy guy, right? He would spin and come shooting at you. Okay, now going back to our passage, because trust me, this does have a point. This does have a point. We will reel it in here, okay? When he said you cannot serve two masters, and he now puts God on one side, which character or which thing does he say? This is the greatest enemy. It's God or what? Money. He chose money. He didn't choose your sex drive. He didn't choose a false religion. He didn't, he didn't say you can't serve God or Moloch or one of the false gods. He didn't say you can't serve God and, you know, uh, you know anger or some other emotion that we have, which these are all sins, you know, to, to sin in your anger or to, you know, worship a false god. He said money. Now think about that. Why did he say money? Because money is the root to all other kinds of evil. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Paul expanded on this. I love to look at the apostles as the expansion of Jesus' teachings. Jesus talks about loving your neighbor. Paul writes a whole chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind, okay? Uh, Jesus says don't love money. But then now Paul is going to go into the depth of why we don't love money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. So that's got to be our mindset, okay? You can't want to hoard everything. As the old timers used to say, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse to a gravesite. You can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into destruction. For the love of money is the root to all kinds of what? Evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, if I told you that the solution to the love of money is giving it to God, most of you would say amen, right? Like, I'm going to give it to God. But here's where we become uncomfortable. It's when the preacher says, I'm the intermediate between you and God. <laughs> so the pastor says, hey, y'all, I think you guys have a problem with greed, so why don't you give it all to me and I'll take care of it. Isn't that how we've seen it done mostly? And we think of that when we think of the televangelist or the corrupt pastor. As he says, all y'all people can't handle that money. I can handle it, so give it up this way. And then we look at the pastor and say, well, hold on. If money was so bad, how come you got it all? You know, if, if we weren't supposed to have it, why do you have it? Well, then how do they normally turn that around? Well, when you give to me, you get a blessing. So you're not just giving it away to be safe. You're also giving it away to be a blessing. And this is where you get the idea, and people have talked about the prosperity gospel. That is a heresy. The way I described it is a heresy. But does the Bible promise wealth, blessing, and prosperity? Yes, it does. Can I hear a yes or an amen? Somebody say amen. Amen. Please go with me to Psalm chapter 1. Before we get into the book of Hebrews, I just want you to see that this is throughout the Scripture. Go to Psalm chapter 1, starting there in verse 1. 
Blessed is the man who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners that they take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, notice this, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, what? Prospers. So do we believe that the gospel prospers us? Yeah. So in that sense, do I believe in a prosperity gospel? Yeah. Don't be shy in church. But do I believe it the other way, that the more I give, the more I get, and it's about becoming blessed in that way? No, I don't believe in that. But how can we as Christians deny that God wants to prosper us? Go to Luke chapter 4. Go to Luke chapter 4. And we'll go to the Old Testament here, but a lot of times people say, well, I don't see it in the New Testament. Uh, You're going to see it right here, Luke chapter 4. Notice these scriptures that the Bible gives us about wealth and it not necessarily being a bad thing. The covenant of God comes with wealth. Now, after Jesus comes out of his temptation, go to where he gets into the temple and quotes Isaiah, please. He says, the spirit, starting in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? What is good news to the poor? What is good news to the poor? Wealth, blessing. If I walk up to a poor person and I say, hey, I've got good news for you. I'm going to just uh, give you a handshake. Does that make a poor person happy? Come on, guys. Let's be honest. Don't be so spiritual in this church. Okay. Well, if I tell them I'm going to forgive their, you know, forgive their sins if I was Christ or say Christ will forgive their sins, that's good news to anybody, right? Why does he specifically say that the gospel brings good news to the poor? Why doesn't he just say he gives, if it's only salvation, if it's only forgiveness, if it's only the spiritual things, then why does he say poor people? Why doesn't he just say he gives good news to everybody? Because we all need salvation. We all need redemption, right? But he actually lists out good news to the poor. And as the old preacher said, the good news is you, get, you don't have to be po no mo. That, that's the good news. Now, sometimes people say, well, why does he do that? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, talks about the purpose of wealth. What is the purpose of having money? What is the purpose of having these things in your life? It's not to love them so that you fall into evil. It's to use them for the glory of God. How many of you are glad today there are washing machines out there? Aren't you happy you don't have to do it by hand? But do you worship that thing? No, but you use it. That's the same way it needs to be with wealth and money. You don't worship money. It's a tool. It's a resource. It's neither bad nor good. It's, de- it's uh, neutral, and you determine whether it will be good or evil. You decide whether it's going to be good or evil. It's neutral. That money in my pocket is not evil right now, but if I did something evil with it, then it becomes evil. If I desire it for evil causes, then it's evil. Otherwise, you're going to have to say everybody who's wealthy in the Bible is evil. And the Bible makes, goes out of its way to tell us that a lot of people in the Bible were wealthy, and they were blessed. Can I hear an Amen. Come on, don't get quiet in this Presbyterian church. I got any Pentecostals that believe in prosperity. Amen. Deuteronomy 8.18, what's the purpose of all this? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to be poor so that you learn valuable lessons in your poverty. Is that what it says? No, it says it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his what? His covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You can't buy any of these things right here with a prayer. But prayer can help you buy these things. But what do you need after you prayed? You need the wealth. 
You need it. That's the whole point of it. The Bible says you need it. The Bible says that it's the answer to all things if you read it in King James in the book of Ecclesiastes because it will settle a lot of problems. Now, do we worship it? No, but everything else I just said was true. You see, brothers and sisters, when we talk about money in the church, it should never come with a, a superiority that you're more spiritual than others. Don't ever act like that because we're talking about money or someone's talking about money or you're more spiritual. You're going to be broke, busted, and disgusted, and you're going to call that spirituality. That's not true. Uh, we're not here to be monks. We're not here to take vows of poverty. We're here to be blessed. Amen? Now, what did Paul teach us? In this world, you are not to seek wealth for your validation. You are to be content with the things that you need in life. That is the secret of happiness, is that no matter how much you get, you're not looking to that for your contentment. That's why the wealthy, most of the time, are some of the most miserable people. You ever heard the saying, more money, more problems? And why are they like that? Because they don't understand that wealth is there for the covenant of God. Matthew 6, please, good sir. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Thank you. As you see it up there, we are not to put our worth and our value onto money. But at the same time, we don't fall into the other ditch and say, money in and of itself is evil, and I'm not supposed to have it. Because they, the world, will have it, and they'll use it against us. They'll use it to bring their agenda upon the earth, but we are to use it for the agenda of God. Now, go to the Lord's Prayer, please, which is uh, right above that, I believe, in chapter 6. And he teaches us how to pray. And look at one of the prayer requests. Give us this day our, what? Daily bread. But where does that come in the line of the prayer? After your kingdom come and your will be done. So everything we do is to be Father filtered, especially our finances. So are you making money for the kingdom of God. If you are, you're in partnership with God, and you can ask him to bless your wealth. You can ask him to bless you with the things that you need in life. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Somebody say, blessed. Come on, say it like some of them old faith preachers. Blessed. Blessed. Then you can say it like a gospel preacher. But back in the day, I used to listen to Copeland and all these people. You can have your thoughts about them, but my parents liked them, and I would listen to them, and they would say, blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. And whenever I hear that word, I, I, I get excited because I know that blessings are not curses, and I was cursed. I don't want to be cursed anymore. I want to be blessed. Now, look at one of the popular scriptures, one of the first ones that I memorized as a new Christian. Watch how it will shock you how, how beautiful this and, and how practical it gets, okay? So, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths what? Straight. Ellen DeGeneres, or degenerate, I mean, or degenerate, which way you want to say it. He'll make your pass what? Straight, Ellen. All the presidents, all the, all the people and corporations that are crooked, if you submit to God, he'll make their pass what? Straight. Thank you. Now, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You won't have to be at the clinic, and you won't be stressed out all the time. And then now look at what it says in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Well, I thought we were all supposed to be poor. 
No, you're supposed to have something to honor the Lord with. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then you're going to be broke, busting, and disgusted, just a poor preacher or a poor Christian, and everybody else is going to have the money. No. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay. I think I'm getting a word here. God gives us wealth for his covenant, for his kingdom, for his purpose. But if I become greedy, if I make it my master, I'm in a lot of trouble. Okay? So like the old uh, credit card commercial, what's in your wallet? I need to ask you right now, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Do you have your tithe ready? Do you have your offering? Are you putting God first? Are you seeking the kingdom of God on your job? Because you're not just here to be spiritual and just pray every now and then and then go out there and then tell somebody Jesus loves them. You're actually to have wealth to change the world. You are to use your resources to make a difference for the prayers to have answers. How do prayers get answered if people don't have wealth to bring it about? I, I, it's, it's funny because sometimes I talk to these preachers, and I see one joining me right now. I talk to these preachers, and they always tell me a testimony. Oh, man, I didn't know how I was going to get to Mozambique or this place or that place. And then this person sent a check and this, this, and that. And then I say to them, back, I say back to them, I say, what are you doing to help that brother keep sending checks or that sister? Oh, and it gets quiet like it gets quiet right now. Well, you mean I'm supposed to do something for them? I thought they'd just make money and then just send it to me. I said, no, preacher, you're supposed to teach them how to keep being blessed. Because where do you think that person got the money to send you that check? When I was working in New Orleans and they would send me checks and I would go to that post box and I would see, you know, 5,000, 10,000, whatever in there, I would thank God. But you know what? So often I forgot to thank God for that man's job. For every customer. I remember this one man, I started realizing this later on. This one man sold concrete. I said, you sell concrete? I didn't even know you buy and sell concrete. But it makes sense. You got to get it from somewhere. Somebody got to sell it. And he said, oh, man, let me tell you about concrete. The man went on. I'm talking about for 30 minutes as if he was talking about, like, your new motorcycle, sir. I mean, he talked about this kind of concrete and that kind of concrete. Oh, and then there's this place we get these, this rock from, and we grind it up this way. This man went on and on. When he gave me a check, I appreciated now where that came from. That man sold concrete. Pray for blessings. Teach people how to be blessed. Parents, teach your children how to be blessed. Teach them how to do the things of God. Th these come from the scriptures to give us encouragement. Now, you remember we went to 1 Timothy, and it said that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. But now I'll go back to that same chapter, chapter 6, verse 17, and notice something that slips in here. Because I went to Bible college with a lot of holier-than-thou folk. I was never like this, by the way. I had my own issues, okay? I'm not saying I didn't have issues. I had my own issues I had to work on. But, boy, some of my friends wanted to take vows of poverty. It was almost like they wished they could be in the Roman Catholic Church, be a, a monk with an ugly haircut and whip themselves. Because they just felt like if they weren't going to be a martyr and suffer more for Jesus, people weren't going to get saved. So we used to argue about things like this. My parents were always tithers and givers. They gave me my first car at 16. That's what I want to do for my children. I had all of my college paid for by my parents, and they gave me an allowance, which, by the way, uh, went mostly to the ministry that I was doing. But I was blessed. And I would get into arguments with these guys, and they would say, buying new clothes is a sin. 
Your cotton is just cotton, you know what I'm saying? So go get it at the, the Goodwill store. You shouldn't buy it new, you know? And then they would say, you know, all of these things that you all doing with your ministry and the buildings, we don't need that. They were like house church people, if you ever met them. They're a little bit weird. They're like the strange uncle, the strange cousin. We still love them. They're in the family, but sometimes they're weird, you know? And they try to get me to stop believing in buildings and all of these things. But then I began to say to them, I said, well, hold on. If everybody in the book of Acts was like you, how did they have buildings to sell and give it to the apostles? I said, everybody wasn't broke like you. I'm being honest. And this is the truth. Many of them would come to me throughout the week and say, brother, can you give me a few bucks? These same guys. And I would say, well, how do you like the blessings of my family now? Seriously, I'm a little I told you so. I got a little I told you so in me. And I would. I would say that to him. I'd say, brother, hey, look, it's a gift. Never alone. It's always a gift for me, okay? And I would give it to him. But I would say, well, what do you think about those blessings now? It's something how you were talking about all these things by faith. You're going to live by this, this, and that, and now you're starving. You want some of my ramen noodles? Well, you know that comes from my parents, and they're blessed, and they were blessed to be a blessing. They always sowed seed. And some of these preachers that, they, that, that you don't like, they listen to and then encourage them. You may not agree with everything, but they weren't heretics. They were saying some good truth. And that's why, let me just say this to all my brothers and sisters here. Calvinists, a lot of times, will make fun of our televangelists, and not all of them are bad. I'll, I'll, I'll make fun of the ones that are bad with you, but please, be very careful on how you talk about the Copelands, the Oral Roberts of the past, uh, the, you know, the people like Joyce Myers and all that. A lot of these people have great testimonies, and what happens, I'm just going to be very honest with you, because I do apologetics, a lot of these people who make these videos come from Calvinist backgrounds. They don't believe in women pastors, and they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and then they convince Pentecostals to turn against Joyce Meyer and all this and that. Just be careful with that, okay? Because I know people in these movements that love God, they're blessed, and they don't have anything to do with trying to rob people and be dishonest. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. So I, because I talk to them sometimes and I say, you, you call out our people, but you never say anything about your people. And I don't like that. It's always one-sided, you know. They'll always put out John MacArthur this and John MacArthur that. And this is what I love. I don't agree with everything she did to John MacArthur, but one of the sisters, um, uh, she's in our city and she also have, has a website, Julie, Julie Royce. Julie Royce pointed out the hypocrisy of all these MacArthurites and said, MacArthur got three homes, MacArthur wears a, a $10,000 watch, and y'all, you know, always taking his side against these prosperity preachers. And then they came to his defense and said, oh, well, somebody gave it to him. Somebody did this, or he needs a house to ride in. And we've, we've been telling you the same thing. But you don't believe the argument when we say, but now it's okay for John MacArthur to have it. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Don't, so I'm very skeptical. If you have a problem with Copeland, if you have a problem with uh, Joyce Meyer, tell me what the issue is. Don't just go on these sites, send me a video of those people because I don't, I don't get down like that. I believe a lot of them love the Lord and they're doing their best to serve Jesus. And they have testimonies of doing that. So I'm just, I'm just more careful. But I, always say to my, I would always say to my friends, if everybody was broke like you, how are they giving away stuff? Because we all get broke now because you can find somebody to give it to. You know, they said, well, they only gave it away in the church. The church had 3,000 people, man. Barnabas couldn't give away that many houses. At some point, you run out. At some point, everybody comes back to nothing. If socialism is in the Bible, why isn't everybody broke all the time? Because they knew there was a part of giving and there was a part of keeping. You can't just give it all away all the time. The command to the rich man was the command to the rich man. If you take that as a command to every rich people, then you better take Peter's command to walk on water and I'll drive you out to the lake today and let's go. 
Because what you'll understand very quickly is that there's a context for who he's talking to, right? What's the context for him telling a rich man to sell everything? That dude needed to sell, sell everything and come with Jesus. And guess what? He said to them later, whoever's left all of these things will not only receive those things in heaven a hundredfold, but on this earth. Please pull up that scripture for me, Rudy, as well. Receive houses and land a hundred times. Leave this here, but Google that one so we can have it, please. I remember listening to one of my Calvinist friends um, exegete that scripture, and he said, I don't have much to say about this other than I think this happens in the kingdom to come. That's all he could say. But that's not what it says in the kingdom to come. He's very clear. There's a kingdom to come, and there's also the kingdom coming. Amen? So until the kingdom comes, the kingdom is what? Coming. So you got to have things. While the kingdom is coming, you can't just wait for the kingdom to come. If I'm only waiting for houses and land when the kingdom comes, what is that going to do for me now and all the people who need a place to stay? While the kingdom's coming, I also need them. Listen to what it says, and you tell me if it's only for the future. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in what? This present age. You didn't exegete that too well, my Calvinist friend. It says in this present age, we like Lord of the Rings people around here. We believe in ages. There's an age of men in Lord of the Rings. There's an age of the elves. Well, according to the Bible, there's an age right now called the church age, but the kingdom age is coming. But in the church age, you will receive this now in the present age. Homes, brothers. Now, he doesn't just say the good stuff. He says homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, and fields, along with what? Persecution. So he's honest with us how it will be. And in the age to come, what? Eternal life, but many who are first will be less. Now go back to that passage that I had there, please, in, in Timothy. And they would always say, well, I don't know how to explain it. And I would tell them, well, you got to go back to the word and read it in balance. He commands them in the previous verses, uh, Paul and Timothy here, not to love money, not to go after money and make that your God because you can fall into many sins. But what does he now say in verse 17? Command those who are what? Those who are what? Rich in this present age not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Oh, well, there had to be somebody in the church still rich. If I'm going to command a rich person, what do I have to have in my church? A rich person. If I'm going to command a woman to do something, what do I have to have in my church? A woman. If I'm going to command a man to do something, what do I have to have in the church? So if, this, if Paul is writing to these people and he says, this is a command for a rich person, what do you have to have in the church? Oh, you all quiet in this Presbyterian church. you got to have somebody who got some money. What does he say to them? Don't be arrogant. And by the way, according to the world standard, most of us are rich. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. So anybody that's rich here today, and rich in our economy would be maybe over a million. And, and cash on hand assets after that. So not just an asset. You can have it tied up. You've got to have a, probably a million to two in cash plus your assets. That would be rich in our world, okay? But to put their hope in God, now notice this and highlight this, please, for all my friends out there that hate prosperity. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Amen. How many are glad you don't have to always drink Kool-Aid at the party? How many know you can get the name brand pop every now and then? You can go shop at Jewel. It's a special day. No, no, kids. We ain't doing all these today. We're getting the real Doritos this time. Woo, it's one of those days. I saw that, you know, just the other day in my house. Oh, we got real Pringles. Okay, we got the real Pringles. The, all these Pringles mess with me, you know what I'm saying? They're a little weird. We got the real Pringles today, boy, it's good. Oh, we're not getting little Caesars, we're getting Rosati's? Good day. Good day. I know what we're doing now. I know what level mama's on. Come on. 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, you're not supposed to be rich. You're not supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to give it all the way and be poor. That's not what the Bible says. Now what does this say, this last part? He told them two commands. The first command is don't get arrogant, but remember it's all about God giving you this to be blessed. That's all part of the first command. The second command, command them to do good, to be rich in what? Good deeds. And to be what? Generous and willing to share. So those who have more should give more. That's common sense, isn't it? They shouldn't be made to do it by the government, but they should do it willingly. Man, I'm going to go above a tithe. I'm going to go 15%, 20%. I'm going to do this because I want to be a blessing to the people. God has blessed me with wisdom, whether it's, you know, uh, houses, stocks, uh, businesses, entrepreneurship, ideas, you know, these things that brought wealth to the body of Christ should be generously distributed. And the Bible says they're laying up treasure for themselves in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they got it here in this age, but they also want it in the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. One more time, can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. That was the introduction. That was the <laughs> introduction. Because we're going to talk about the tithe, and it's in the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a what? A tenth. Help me preach somebody. Gave him a what? A tenth. Thank you. Of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Okay? So in the compounded word, Mel is king, like Moloch, and Kizedek is righteousness. That's why he's... Um, Jehovah Melchizedek. No, no, not Melchizedek. Uh, oh, no, Sikhanu. Is it righteousness? Yeah, yeah, Sikhanu is in there. This last part of that name is there, righteousness. Sanctifier. I might be confusing the two. Look up, look, look up uh, Jehovah Shikhanu and see if I'm saying sanctification or righteousness for me, my brother, because I want to make sure I give that to them. I may be saying confusing too. So king of righteousness is, is Melchizedek. And king of Salem, which the word Salem it means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest for how long? Forever. Did you get it, my brother? Are you showing him something else? Okay, so shikanu is righteousness, right? What is the word shikanu? Does it mean sanctify or righteousness? I want to know. So it is righteousness. Okay, great. Thank you, brothers. Love having scholars in the house. Now notice this here. He's a priest forever according to Melchizedek. Jesus is. Now look at verse 4. Just think how great he was talking about Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a what? A tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a what? A tenth. Thank you from the people. That is from their fellow Israelites, even though they are descended from Abraham. Now look at verse 6 here. This man, talking about Melchizedek, however, does not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a what? A tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Abraham had all these promises and he blessed him. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Highlight that, please. Let me just help you understand why I always pray for you and you can pray for me, but it's not a necessity in our time of meeting together. A lot of times whenever I meet with people, this is just a little side, it's a little pastor hustle right here. A lot of times when I meet with people, I pray for them, and then they always feel like, well, Pastor, now I'm going to pray for you, okay? The reason why we always pray for you as pastors is because we're in greater authority. 
You, do, you, you may not like that, but that's why we do it. So I'm going to close the meeting out with prayer. If you want to do it, I'm never taking an offense if you want to pray as well. Because the Bible says pray for us, pray for leaders. That's a beautiful thing. But just to know when the amen of the leader is spoken, it's done. We don't have to have everybody now pray for everybody. This goes back to that understanding. When you are in authority, you bless those under you. When you're under the one in authority, you respect and honor them. The concept here is known in the Bible. A lot of times we don't understand that concept. So I just want to take a, a, a moment and to explain, man, why does pastor always open, like I say, we're having a meeting. Why does he open the meeting and close the meeting in prayer? Why, can't we all pray? And sometimes I'll give that to somebody else. But here's the concept. The one in authority prays and blesses. And let me just also add to this. That's why, parents, you need to pray for your children. Because they're lesser in authority in your house. And that's why in my house, I always pray for my wife. Now, of course, she can pray for me, but I'm in greater authority as a husband of same nature. Wife equal in nature, but different in authority. Children equal in nature to parents, but different in authority. So, husband, bless your wife. Bless your wife. Always bless her. Place your hands on her. Bless her in Jesus' name. Parents, bless your children. Amen? And then we as a culture, bless your job because you're an authority there. If you have no kingdom people and they're not in order, your kingdom authority, your kingdom righteousness there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just want to show that protocol because that's something we don't generally understand in the church, but there we see it in Scripture. Verse 8. In the one case, the what? Tenth. Man, we've said tenth lame almost every single time. Can I get a good tenth on this? In one case, the... Tenth, thank you, is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Who is that one? Jesus. So are we tithing like to the Arianic priesthood, to Levi? No, we're tithing to Melchizedek. And that's going to become very important to remember that in just a moment. One might even say that Levi, who collects the what? The tenth, paid the Tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Here's the other concept I want you to understand from the Bible. Because a lot of us, we look at culture and we let that dictate our culture. No, it's Christ's culture over everything. So you learn about authority in the Bible. Now you're going to learn about genealogy. This is how genealogy works. The head of the family represents everybody else. So that's why it's not unfair for Adam's sin to come to us. Adam represented humanity because he was the first. Turn with me quickly to the book of Romans, because I want you, uh, 1 Corinthians, rather, 15.22, because as surely as we got the bum rap from Adam and his sin, we get the blessing from Jesus. So the same ones who complain about, oh, I became a sinner, and Adam, you're going to complain now about becoming righteous in Christ? Because that's how it works according to the Scriptures. Notice this, verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. For as in who? Adam all die. Oh, that's not fair, but keep reading. So in who? Christ all will be made alive. Thank you. See, now you see how that works? So going back to the scriptures, let me summarize what you just read there, and then we'll get into some practicals. Number one, there was a character in the Bible, Genesis 14, 18. Please just put it up so everybody can see the context. We don't need to read it. Whose name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek is not from the lineage of the Israelites. Abraham is the father of the Israelites, and he's right there with them. So it would be impossible unless he time traveled, okay? Melchizedek is from another people group. 
He still may come because uh, after Noah's flood, after the flood of Noah, there was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He may still be from the line of Shem, which would be mostly Semitic people. That's true, but we don't know his genealogy, which will be another point in a moment. So here you see Melchizedek is in this place of authority, and Abraham, who is now going to become the first Israelite, pays tithes to him. This is important because Jesus is now going to become a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and you need to understand that to understand the points the author is making. So let's go slow. First of all, when we learn about Melchizedek, he's a what? A king, and he's also a priest. Who do you know about in the Bible that's also going to be a king and a priest or is? Jesus. David was in some ways, but not like Melchizedek and not like Jesus. David could do priestly functions, but he wasn't considered a priest. The Levitical order was already around at that time. So now the one-to-one comparison is Melchizedek, he is a priest and he is a king. That's what Jesus is going to be like. Why is that important? Because in Israel, those two positions came from two different tribes. If you wanted to be a king, what tribe did you need to come through? Judah, if you wanted to be a king. Judah. Jesus came through the Judites, so Jesus could rightfully be a king, right? But hold on. If he also wants to be a priest, where line do the priests come from? Is he from Levi? No, you can't be from two at the same time, right? He's from Judah. He's not from Levi, so how is he going to be a priest? He needs to come through Melchizedek. That's why the Bible's pointing it out. Now, here's a point of this, you know, disagreement among certain Christians. Is Melchizedek actually Jesus pre-incarnate? And Abraham is giving him a tithe, and now Jesus will come in the flesh and be the fulfillment of what Melchizedek was in that visitation. I don't think so. Here's the reason why. In the visitation passages of Genesis, it says the Lord comes. You guys remember Genesis 18? Just show on the next tab, please, there. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Why doesn't it call him the Lord there? Now, some people might say it's a mystery, and he's going to reveal it later on. I just don't think that there's that much of a mystery here. I think there's just a person named Melchizedek. And he's also interesting here because we don't know how he knows everything that he knows. He's kind of like Jethro. Remember Jethro? He was a priest from Midian. He's not an Israelite, and yet he helps and he serves Moses. This shows that God's universal love was touching people from different nations. This doesn't mean that there is universalism in different religions. It just means that our one God can touch other people's lives in different locations. So you notice here in Genesis 18, it's very clear at the beginning that the Lord appeared. Why when we get to Genesis uh, chapter 14 or later on in Genesis chapter 28, why are we going to have to guess about who this person is? Going back to Genesis 14, 18, no, I think Melchizedek is Melchizedek. He's a guy named Melchizedek. He's like Jethro. He's a priest and he's a king. And then what does he do? He blesses Abraham. Why is that important? Because do we have the Levitical priesthood anymore? Do we have it? No, but do we have a high priest? We do. What order is our high priest in? Melchizedek. Go back to our passage, please. It's very important to see this. This is going to help you preach to a bunch of different people. They're not necessarily related. They only have one thing in common, and that's that they don't agree with Christianity. Mormons, you're going to use this scripture towards those guys. Why? Because they think they carry on an Arianic priesthood. And they're absolutely incorrect. You're going to use this with Jehovah Witness, I mean, uh, Jews. And you're going to show them that because their temple was destroyed, they no longer even have the potential for an Arianic priesthood. They're trying now to do those things. We think that will be a part of the end times. But they haven't had one for 2,000 years. How many know that's a problem when your whole religion depends on it? 
Maybe they should stop and think, what happened to us when that temple was destroyed? Right? This is what I I like to ask them, and I learned this from Dr. Michael Brown, a Jew for Jesus, is if your temple was destroyed the first time for being idolaters and Babylon took you over, why was it destroyed the second time in 70 A.D.? What great sins did you commit? Because they weren't idolaters anymore. From the time of the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish people were no longer idolaters. That's true. So why did they get destroyed in 70 A.D.? Something significant must have happened, and they must have disobeyed a very significant person. Who was it? It was Jesus. When they rejected their Messiah, they lost their temple. And Messiah was going to fulfill it and bring them about a new covenant, and that's what Hebrews is going to start getting into. But what do they need to first have that covenant? They need a priest. And so now what uh, the author, who I believe is Paul, is saying in Hebrews is, here's where you're going to get your priesthood from now. Not only for Jews, but also Christians. You're going to get it not from the order of Aaron, but the order of Melchizedek. Go to Psalm 110. How many know Psalm 110 was the most quoted uh, psalm by Jesus and the disciples? Nobody? Okay, I'm going to teach you something. Psalm 110 was the most quoted psalm by Jesus and the disciples. How many have heard that psalm before? The Lord said to my... Oh, second service sleeping today. The Lord said to my Lord. That's the most quoted psalm. I've told you that before, at least in one service or another. The Lord said to my Lord. What's going on? Father speaking to the Son. Everybody see that? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Now keep going down. What happens in this prophecy? David talks about another priesthood. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of what? Melchizedek. I was listening to a Jew for Jesus debate a a modern Orthodox Jew, and he could not get around this. He had no answer for this because the Christian kept saying, how do you as modern Jews accept, affirm, and promote the Melchizedekian order of priests? And he was like, no, we just think that's metaphorical. We don't have an answer to it. Then he bring them back to the temple. But your temple's destroyed. You don't have Arianic priests. You're not doing sacrifices there. And lo and behold, this is a prophecy. And this is the very one Jesus is quoting. How do you remember when Jesus asked him that question? How can David say that he has a Lord as the Messiah when the Lord is his descendant? It's a son of David. How is the Messiah a son of David and also David's Lord? That was Jesus, by the way. Wasn't Jesus pretty smart? Because Jesus is the root and the fruit or the offspring of David. And Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? It helps the Jew. It helps the Mormon, yes. But not only that, it tells us the importance of Jesus. He's a priest forever. The Arianic priest had a limit. Going back to our notes, please. So when someone brings up the tithe argument to me, I teach them all of this, and most of the time they don't even know. They said, I thought you were going to run me to Malachi and all of these. No, no, no. I'm going to start you right here in Hebrews because I want you to understand priesthood. I want you to understand order. Now, let's count how many times a tenth is mentioned in this passage, starting at the beginning there in verse 2, tenth, one time. Keep on going down to the next verses in verse 4, a tenth is mentioned again. Now in verse 5, a tenth. And by the way, I have a great link here sharing a lot of what I don't have time to. Keep on going down further. We get to the verse uh, 6, 10th, 4th time. In verse 8, a 10th, 5th time. Further on down into verse 9, a 6th time. 
tenth, a seventh time in that same verse, and keep on going down. Seven times it's mentioned in that passage. How many think it's pretty important? Now, is it a deal breaker between us and other Christians who don't believe the tithe is for today? Absolutely not. But I want you to understand why I, as a tither, believe it's so important. It's a part of our covenant with our new priest. Our new priest is in the order of Melchizedek. He is Jesus Christ. And how long will he be a priest for? Forever. So notice here, go down a little bit more in this passage. They used to give tithes to those who lived and died. Now we give tithes to those who live forever. Please keep going down a little bit more. Keep on going down. Oh, no, sorry, verse 8. In one case... The tenth is collected by people who what? Died. That's the Arianic order. Aaron is Moses' brother. Both Aaron and Moses were descendants of Levi, okay? So the tithe in this way is collected by those who die. And their temple at this time was still around. So this lets us know the early writing of Hebrews. Hebrews is probably around 60 AD being written. The author is mysterious because he doesn't have the greeting like they normally do. That's why we think it's Paul who is simply preaching a sermon and one of his associates are writing it down. So it's his teaching, but it's not his verbiage. So it's like a sermon and Apollos, Barnabas, someone like that wrote it down. That's what church history uh, tells us. So notice, in one case, the tithe is collected by people who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be what? Living. And how long does he live for? So how long am I tithing to him for? forever. It's that simple to me. It's that simple. Now, let me show you in Malachi. You guys ready to go to the preacher's favorite passage in Malachi? Let's bring back the offering buckets. Liars and thieves taking all God's money. Better give it back. But look at it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So here we see what he's going to teach us now is a principle that transcends what I believe covenants to be, from an old to a new, and even preceding the covenant of Moses. We'll see this in the life of Abraham, as we've already had uh, read, and as well as Jacob and his descendants. Look at this. The Lord does not change, so you, the descendants of, Je of Jacob, are not destroyed. So aren't you happy God lo loves us and he keeps on loving us? Otherwise, you'd be destroyed. That's what he's saying. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So there's a bunch of things they've been doing wrong. Decrees, plural, right? Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. There's a great passage to encourage anyone today to come to Jesus. But you ask me, how are we to return? Now, remember we read in Matthew when Jesus said, here's your greatest competing master. You cannot serve God or money. He chose money, right? He didn't say you can't serve God or Molech. He didn't say you can't serve God or sex. He said God or money. So God chose that to be very important through Jesus Christ while he's there on earth. Notice this now in Malachi. These people are backslidden. They are not doing life right. They are breaking God's decrees, plurals. Everybody see plural decrees there? Okay. Now he says, they're asking him, God, how do we come back? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And he says, and they ask, but how do we rob you? And he said, in tithes and what? Offerings. Wow. God looks right to their heart and sees the root to their evil is the love of money. He says, the way you're going to show me that you're coming back to me is you're going to start giving tithes and offerings again. That's why we don't put anybody in leadership who's not a tither or a giver. We don't check your bank account to see if you're lying to us, but it's a requirement. How can I trust you with the church if God can't trust you with the wallet? And how am I going to trust your prayers if you're lying to God the whole time? Because you really don't want him to bless you because you're going against his word. That's why it's important to understand the tithe. Now, somebody might say, well, pastor, in other places it says give as the Lord gives you without, you know, compulsion and all that. I believe that's the offering. 
I believe it's very clear here what the tithe is. Now, some other people try to bring up a smoke screen and say, but there was three tithes. There was the tithe to the priests. There was the tithe that the Israelite would bring to celebrate during the festival days. And then there was a tithe to the poor. Absolutely. And that's why tithes is plural there. You've got to be obedient in all that God commanded you to give. But notice here, as he moves forward from the plural tithes to the very singular tithe, verse 10, bring the whole what? Tithe into the storehouse. That is the specific Levitical tithe. So yes, there was tithes, plural, and they had to be obedient to that. And God wanted that to be done, those three ways that they gave. But he's very, he's very specific in the one they need to start with to show their obedience. Now, in the New Testament, do we have a way to tithe as we celebrate our festivals? No, so we don't have festivals. Do we need to have a tithe to help the poor because that's a part of our civil duty? See, socialism wasn't in the Old Testament. They gave their tithe to the poor. It wasn't taxed from them mandatorily. It was a part of their gift to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? That's a beautiful thing because we shouldn't require that in any government. You should give out of your abundance willfully. And you could hold it back if you wanted to, as, as you saw they were doing. But it wasn't a part of their tax. It was a recommended tax, but it wasn't a requirement, in other words. They did it. They could not do it for a while and still be in the land. Now, of course, because they disobeyed, they eventually get kicked out because of this and many other reasons. But notice this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the house. Now, what, what does he say after that? So that there may be food in my house, so that the priests can be cared for. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. So is it wrong to promise people blessings as they give? Yes or no, brothers and sisters? I'm going to say it again. Is it wrong to promise people blessings as they give to the Lord? No, that's what Jesus said. That's what that, he said, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's what, that's what God said in the Old Testament. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty praise God that's good news anybody want to be blessed anybody want their customers to keep coming back anybody want to have so much they don't have room enough to store it stock market has to stay stop investing you've given us too much <laughs> come on houses land fruitfulness well going back to our passage in closing, what do we learn? we got to recognize who our priest is. Seven times, number of perfection. You can look into that. Make sure I counted right. Mentions the tenth. It says that the Levites tithe to Melchizedek because they were in the loins of Abraham. But now they die, or did die, and they don't have a temple. But hold on. Tithes are still being collected by the one who lives forever. Now, brothers and sisters, it's up to you whether or not you want to do that. I can't force you, but I can make a covenant with those who do. In other words, I have already decided in my life I'm going to be a tither. I've been one since I was raised as a Christian. There was a time I backslid and I wasn't a tither, but I've been one my whole life. Those who know my dad know my parents have been tithers the whole Christian life. I was raised on this, and I've watched my family always have more than enough. And I've seen God do miracles through the finances of the churches, not only that, that I've pastored or been in, but the ones that I, that I love and I have friends there. 
and the stories that they tell as God is faithful through, through his people. Remember I talked about at the beginning of, of the sermon, those who always talk about needing a miracle but never really help those who give the finances to the, make that miracle happen. I want you, my friends, to be on the side that makes it happen. I want you to be on the side that can make a miracle happen for somebody else. I, I want the kind of church that when Daryl looks at that property on the south side there or the west side technically and, and looks up the price, that that price doesn't bother him and set him back in his family goals. He can buy that property. Lord, we ask you to bless the Escovals and all they put their hands to. Amen. I want us to be blessed that whenever we have a need, it's taken care of. That when someone says, I need help with my car payment, and the church looks at what our charitable giving is, and we say we can give this much, but then someone else says, I can make up the difference. See, brothers and sisters, the church is run just like your business or like your house budget. I can't meet everybody's need at a pastor all the time. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep these lights on. So we look at our budget, and we put aside so much that we can do per month, and we spread it out, and we try to do as much as we can. But when we, as the church, can't pay everybody's bills or help, there should be members in the church that come along inside and help. Because for us as a church, we don't require a number on your offering. We just say, give that as unto the Lord. Maybe some of you will want to give your offering in the name of a person that's in need. There was a brother that just gave a few thousand dollars for a family that was in need through the church so that we could give it to him because our budget wouldn't allow us <clears throat> to give more than a few hundred dollars. But this brother said, I have a few thousand extra dollars, but I want to do it through the church because I trust the church and they'll keep that person accountable. I'm looking forward to that day when these young people and these young adults come here in their careers and say, Pastor, where do I give this? How do I serve with this? What can I do with this? And even some of us here who are a little bit older and feel like maybe we've peaked, it's not over for us yet. My one brother told me a story about, he was the one that uh, remodeled this building. And he told me a story about how he was going to buy a new building. I said, well, you need about 20% down, right? He said, yeah, we have a few hundred thousand dollars. I said, man, that's a lot. How did you guys get that? He said, it was a dear sister in our church that noticed something about the iPass needed a holder for the car. I don't know if anybody remembers those holders. Now they give you the sticker that sticks to your window, but there used to be a plastic holder. You could slip it in and take it out. I see you nodding. Some of the people may remember having a plastic holder for the iPass. He said, my sister in the church, she, she made it and put a patent on it. And I guess they're used all over the place. You know, a lot of places have passes. She gave a tithe to the church, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Another person had, had come. Uh, my wife heard this testimony from Liberty Christian Center. Okay, this was City Lights testimony I gave you. This is Liberty Christian Center. You can check these people out. Pastor Willie has passed now, but he told me the testimony. I said, Pastor Willie, uh, tell me some testimonies. What's God done in your life? He went on and just shared with me a lot of wonderful things. And he said, let me tell you the story about how we got this building. So a lot of these testimonies are connected to buildings. I don't know exactly what happened with this woman, but she was an ordinary person coming to the church. Ordinary income, you know. But she had an inheritance coming, a settlement. Something happened in her life. And you know what she did? She came to her church and said, I want to give this. She had never thought she would give that large of an offering, but she did. You see, if you can't be faithful off tithing off 100, how can you be faithful off tithing off of 2 million? Can I hear an amen? But she was faithful in her tithe. And so when that large number came to her, she counted off the tithe. Anybody ever dream about the lottery? I know I see these numbers around all the time, billion. How many dream like me and already take off the tithe? I already take off the tithe. It's okay. I'm, I'm tithe. If I win the billion, I got to take off the hundred million. And for me, I always try to get 5% of offering. 
That's just me. That's what the Lord told me. So I try to, okay, 15% comes off top. Then, then what do we do, Jesus? That's not even part of the plan. You know, I, mean, I got all these other plans, what we're going to do. But I'm so trained in my mind after all these years, that don't even belong to me. That's just, I, even though I'm the pastor of this church, but in my mind, it's like, I don't dream about that yet. That's just the Lord's, he's going to, you know, the elders, the deacons, we're going to figure that out. But, okay, now I still got, what is that, 85, uh, 850 million left or whatever, you know. Okay, what are we going to do, Jesus? That's how I dream. Brothers and sisters, we have a priest who loves us and cares for us. When he's asking us to give and to put that out every month, he's not doing that because he doesn't uh, have enough money. The lights are paid for in heaven. Everything's taken care of out there. What he's doing is he wants there to be things in this house. And I will apologize to you sincerely because I feel the pain. I do because I've, I've been there in certain churches where I felt they abused the money or the finances wouldn't take care. I apologize on behalf of pastors for that. One of the things that I commit to you here is that you can always check our finances at any time. We'll give you a bank statement, an accountant statement that doesn't come to this church. That's a third party that's trusted. She works with some of the biggest churches in the city and our lawyer at any time. Why? Because... There's no hindrance I want you to have in doing this because it's really between you and God. And the second thing that I promise you is that we will never take advantage of what you give and think of you as a dollar sign. Some of you, I know this about you, you're doing well in life and you tell us and you testify, man, my business is expanding. Listen to me when I say this to you. I celebrate the business, but I don't see you as dollar signs. So if you're expecting me to come to you with the next thing that we need, I'm not going to do that. And I learned that as a preacher because when you do that with the people, you give them a mindset like their gift is better than somebody else's. Like I just want everyone to give what the Lord's given them. Don't, don't do it because I asked you. Like, uh, pastor, because I've had people come up to me, you know. A lot of times it's, it is people who have a lot. They, they do act like this. I don't know why. But they go, hey, man, where can I give this? Where can I do that? And I say, well, I, I'm telling you how. The tithes and offering. I mean, that's how you can use it. Well, what else? What else? And I'm like, just give it there and we'll figure it out. But they always want me to have, like, just a thing for them. And that's hard for us as pastors. Let me just tell you, that puts pastors in a very difficult position because then other people think that you're favoring them. And you may have a good intention. Like I said before, you may come to the church like, man, what do I do with this? Well, my response should you, to you should always be give your tithe and pray about your offering. That should always be my response because then otherwise you and I are going to have a codependence on each other. You're going to be codependent on me validating your gift. And if I don't ever do that, you're going to feel like you're not, you're not valuable. And then I'm going to need that uh, money to do something that I couldn't do without. And I just don't like that. I'm not saying like we're all poor here, but I, but I know our congregation, mostly middle class and people even coming out of poverty. I love what one missionary said. I said, man, how do you pay the bills? He's in this one part of Argentina, a poor area. And I said, how do you do all of this? And he said, you know what? We don't have a lot of rich people, but we have a lot of poor people that love to give. And they guess what? They won't be poor for long. But if you get a lot of people who just love to give and love to serve, you'll see great miracles happen. And then I won't be having some unhealthy relationship. Another thing I just want to speak to you practically is that what tithing has done for me is it has taught me how to balance my budget. Because if you're already stretching your budget to 100% and then they take out taxes and you blow it up every month, you're, not, you're doing it wrong. In your mind, you, are, you got to always take out taxes and then take out your tithes and offerings. That's what you live off of. And then um, Dave Ramsey will say, take out another 10% for your savings and your emergency fund. That way of thinking will help you. 
Now, let me just encourage everybody here. I know what it's like to be without, and I know what it's like to have. So no one here should ever feel judged if you don't have a lot right now. But remember, what does he give? He gives the good news to the poor. And part of that good news is you don't have to be poor no more. So what are you going to do as a poor person, even if you're in that situation, and I don't mean that to be derogatory, I just mean as the Bible says it, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to start with what you have. You're going to be responsible with what you have. Whatever you get, you're going to start giving tithes and offerings off of, and then what are you going to do? You're going to pray for the Lord to bless you so that you could be a blessing. How many started off poor, and now you poor no more? Come on, anybody got testimonies here? I've started off, even coming from a blessed family, Ruining everything, man. Just doing it all wrong. I felt like the prodigal son. And then God began to teach me. And then lastly, brothers and sisters, your dreams come from God. Don't be ashamed of them. Do you have dreams about a job or a position on that job? Anybody? Anybody have a dream about starting a a company? Anybody have dreams about owning homes? Amen? Those are dreams from God. If you have them in your heart, it's a desire. Where did that desire come from? It didn't come from the devil. The devil doesn't want you to be fruitful and multiply. That's God. Okay? Now, what do you do with that? You take that dream and you submit it at the feet of Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You guys have heard about some of our dreams. You know, we started a t-shirt company. You know, this is so some of the brothers in the church, they don't have to go around doing spaghetti dinners to work for the church or be on the mission field that they can be a tent maker like Paul. That sounds like a biblical idea. So I pray for this business to prosper. I don't want to shake people down and have the same people in the church buy 20 shirts for me and you go broke. No, I just, I just want how people shop at Walmart, shop at Kingdom. That's it. Like how you got Nike, I want you to have Kingdom. That's it. That's all my desires. I want people to feel like they can wear this, right? That's it. We see Puma. We see Nike. We see anime. We see a lot of stuff here. I just, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying I want people to know that this is good quality. We compare the thread count. We compare the feel. You're going to say, this shirt feels just like that shirt. But then we're going to put this on it, right? And then, you know, for my personal goals, man, I sit at my desk every day. That's where I'm at. I feel like I'm always like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, my little arms right here, typing away at things. This is, what, this, is, this is my extent of work. Some of you out there like Carlos, man, like you're building houses. He's like holding on to lumber, you know. He's like building stuff. I'm like, oh, spell check. Okay, this little mouse, oh, my little finger on my mouse is getting sore. What's wrong with my finger, you know? So I sit there, and I said, well, man, you know, all the stocks and all these things, you know, uh, came popular not too long ago. I was like, well, I could have this while I'm just working for the Lord. Come on, somebody. I could just have stocks running right here. I'm at the desk. I'm already there. Just buy, sell, buy, sell. Okay? That's my goal. I would like to, I would like to give back my salary to the church and, and just... Would I buy and sell on stocks, you know, be my living? I want to make $1.2 million. I want to make 100000 a month just buying and selling. These sinners do it. They show off their Lambos, make me feel bad like I'm a loser. I had one guy call me a Muppet. He says I'm doing it all wrong. I'm trying to learn from some of these people. Man, the world is harsh out there. <laughs> I was paying this guy to mentor me. He called me a Muppet, cussed me out, hung up the phone on me. I'm like, man, if this is what the world is like, I don't want it. Some Christian mentor me. Help me to learn this, you know. But the world don't care about you, man. They don't care. They took my, he took my money and he cussed me out. Thank God when I felt it wasn't for me, he refunded me. But at first I told my wife, I said, I haven't been cussed out and called names in a long time. This stockbroker is just messing with me, stock trader, whatever. But I'm not giving up. I found another guy. He's nicer. He's nicer to me. He's like an older man. 
but I want to I want to dream big because those are dreams of God. And also what's with, with what you already have. Ask the Lord to bless it. Bless this house. You know, if you want a new house, bless the house that you're in. I remember when I used to live in New Orleans, there was a hole that the mice would come in and out. It was like their Airbnb. And I used to never take off my socks. And the Lord said, I'm not going to bless you with another place until you bless this. And God as my witness. I had to hear that from the Lord. Because then for the first time, brother, I took off my socks in my own house. And I had lived there about a year. And I just rubbed my feet on the, the carpet. And I said, all right. I bless this house in the name of Jesus. I just started blessing it. I blessed the kitchen uh, that, you know, was falling apart. I blessed the whole place. And once again, God is my witness. Within about three to six months, I had an apartment that I could not have afforded unless the Lord had given me favor. We had some interns join with us. They were all willing to pitch in. I met a landlord that was crazy enough to trust a preacher with some dude interns to take on his brand new rebuilded spot. On annunciation, man, I was living it up. And I realized as a young man, man, God takes care of us. When you're a tither and a giver, you're partnered with God. You care about what happens in the church. You're involved in what's going on in your own life. You're looking at your budget. You're praying over your resources. And then you start getting excited about other people's resources. There's a reason why the Jewish people are so little and yet they have so much power. It's not because of the conspiracies of Kanye West, okay? It's just it's simple, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know, man. I think they're taking over Illuminati with the Jewish people. Man, listen to me. They are blessed because God said they would be blessed. That's why they own everything, because God said they would be blessed. That's why they own the banks. That's why they own the entertainment. You want to get signed on a record label, you got to meet a Jewish guy. You wanted a bank loan, you had to go to a Jewish guy. You wanted to have somebody defend you in court against the other Jewish guy who's suing you, you get a Jewish lawyer. Come on, somebody. And the guy I rented from in New Orleans was a Jewish doctor. There's a reason, because they know the principles. They're applying it. They're praying for their kids, the lesser to the greater. They're handing on their traditions. I think it's time we get that back in the Christian community. Amen? Blessed to be a blessing. Would you stand up with me? Give it up for our living priests in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We come in agreement with you, Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Father, forgive us if we haven't been faithful in a partnership with you.